0: Stem cell science is changing medicine and our understanding of human development. Learn more with the Stem Cell Channel. Visit uctv.tv slash stem cell. What most of you will know, of course, is that it, while the typical cell is a diploid cell with two copies of each chromosome, uh, the the cancer genome very frequently is aneuploid, that is other than a a multiple of the haploid set. And indeed, if you look at uh, tumors, especially solid tumors, most of them, almost all of them are, are have the wrong number of chromosomes. And even more so, not only if you, if you stop here, here, you can see one of these karyotypes where, yeah, there's three copies of chromosome 14, three of 13, but you can look down at the bottom, you have chromosomes that have been really highly rearranged. And I admit I was always confused by that. How do you gen? How do we generate that? And a trip for me, a, a, a fundamental insight came from this work from Peter Campbell and his colleagues in 2011, when he discovered that what should have been a normal chromosome five, by using whole genome sequencing and then reconstructing that chromosome, that actually it had been shattered into hundreds of pieces and those pieces had been put back together in the wrong in the in a random order amplifying some of them and dropping out others and he, he called this chromothripsis for the shattering uh and and religation of a chromosome and indeed we now recognize uh that some tumors uh almost almost all of the a class of tumors has a chromothriptic chromosome, and indeed, there's kind of a, a kind of a I'm sorry, there's kind of a challenge now about uh, among uh, those who are doing the genomics here of uh, what is the at final number, and it's somewhere between 20 and 50 percent of uh, human tumors have a chromothriptic chromosome. The story of chromothripsis actually began in 1968 when this pair of investigators at the, at the NCI discovered quite correctly that if you missegregate a chromosome or a piece, a piece of a chromosome into what we call a micronucleus, a small encapsulated chromosome, but not part of the major nucleus, that that uh, micronucleated DNA will replicate slowly, maybe not finish by the time the major cell gets into the next mitosis and that it will be shatter up, shattered or in their words, pulverized in the next mitosis. And that uh, publication was forgotten. It was forgotten for 44 years until it was rediscovered by uh, David Pellman and his colleagues at uh, Dana-Farber. And, and sure enough, they, and, and they demonstrated, yes, indeed, if you t- segregate a chromosome, missegregate a chromosome, so like this one here that I'm circling, and that it forms a micronucleus uh, in the subsequent interphase, that that DNA will be uh, pulverized. Will will be shattered. Now, uh, yes, we we uh, discovered uh, that the mammalian centromere is epigenetically defined by a chromic, chromatin structure modeled by a centromeric uh, histone H3 called CnpA, that whose chromatin knows how to specify its own replication. Uh, and that that's the epigenetic mark of centromere identity. And there's a, an anomaly of the Y chromosome, and we learned how to selectively inactivate just the Y centromere so that we can missegregate the Y chromosome at will. And when we do that, it uh, as you can see here, we do that in the very next interface. You see that it is uh, in, incorporated into a micronucleus. Here's another example here. And what happens to that missegregated Y chromosome in a micronucleus. And as it as the cell gets to the subsequent inter, uh, mitosis, what you can see here using uh, fluorescence in-situ hybridization to follow the Y, you can see the Y in the green just gets shattered in this case into at least 25 viewable pieces big enough to be seen uh, using this uh, in-situ hybridization approach. So indeed, m- segregation of a, uh, chromosome or a chromosome piece, an acentric piece, into a micronucleus will lead to its shattering in the subsequent uh, uh, mitosis. We then ask, well, what if there were a growth advantage in the shattered chromosome? Uh, what, what, what would that do uh, uh, to um, acquisition of that growth advantage, and maintenance of that growth advantage, and uh, for the for the guys in the audience, uh, you, you may know, of course, that we don't have any useful genes on the Y, at least in the typical uh, somatic cell. So we added one, a neomycin resistance gene. And then we ask, if we inactivate the centromere, send the, that that chromosome into a micronuclease, it's going to be shattered. And in some cases, it'll be shattered to make an acentric piece. And in other cases, it will carry the original centromere, which we can either leave off or we can selectively reactivate by right, the strategy we used. And so what do you get if you now add that growth advantage, select for the growth advantage, and, and, and if you look at an a piece, so where we do not reactivate the centromere, and what happens is, oh, and we're gonna follow the pieces of the Y using uh, a paint, uh, a paint for uh, the 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 P and Q Q arms, and what you see is that the fragmented chromosome, no centromere, it can only be maintained, or it can only be it can be maintained if it joins another chromosome. And here it did so, it did so again. Oh, but you get some really complex rearrangements, as you can see in the fish, more complex ones, some really weird ones. So indeed, you can. Uh, if you if you allow the centromere to be reactivated, you get a chromothriptic Y chromosome rearranged. But if you if you inactivate the centromere, can keep it off, you get both in, intra and interchromosomal rearrangement uh, rearrangements that really mimic all of the major rearrangements found in the cancer cancer genomes. And uh, partnering with Peter Campbell at the Sanger. We did whole genome sequencing of about 50 of these, and wh- what we learned very quickly was, indeed, uh, by selecting for that growth advantage, the retention of the neomycin resistance gene, you get uh, incorpor- you get chromothripsis, and indeed, you you uh, you it just it's just easy to see of uh, uh, the pieces and the wild rearrangements that you can generate here from the, from the the piece of the Y joining now a different autosome, the chromosome chromosome 5. Okay, so, and indeed more so, what you also see, and that's going to become the theme for the remainder of the talk today, what you see is that you the fragmented chromosome carrying the resistance piece can circularize. In this case, in the very simple example, it can circularize into a two-piece uh, uh, element Uh, with only, you know, less than a megabase in size, carrying the original gene and another piece in this case of the Y chromosome, but ligated backwards in the wrong, in the wrong order. So we can get, and this is amplified. The original discovery of this kind of circular DNA came, uh, came from Bob Shemke and Fred Alton 1978 and they called it a double minute because after dna replication it looks as two little dots i'll show you that in a moment it's been renamed by our our, our my colleague our, our former colleague paul michel as extracellular dna probably a better name and here it is you can see in in a uh, colorectal cancer cancer cell line you see that you see two kinds of g- gene amplification. One, an intrachromosomal amplification uh, called a homogeneous staining region. These regions were originally identified by Barbara, Barbara McClintock now 80 years ago, uh, but, but it's certainly found broadly in cancer here for an amplification of the NIC gene and indeed you see in the same cell you see this in, intrachromosomal amplification as well as the uh, plethora of these e- extrachromosomal ecdnas or for the old timers uh, double minutes okay and and just uh, just over the la- over the last uh, two two to three years it's become really clear again from the work of Paul Michel and Benoit Bafna that the uh, up to up to 50% of cancers contain such amplified EC-DNA. Here's one such image Image from a glioblastoma cell line where you see the major chromosomes, but you see all these little dots, double dots uh, after after DNA replications. These are the double minutes or EC-DNAs. And indeed, you really find them very broadly, uh, very broadly in glioblastoma, but also in um, multiple uh, cancer types. So, and indeed, the recognition that ECDNA is broadly found in human uh, cancers led the uh, the two major fund- world funders, the NCI and the Cancer Research UK, led them in uh, just pr- prior to COVID uh, in 2020 to issue nine grand challenges of unsolved, what they proposed were unsolved questions, and one of those was gene application and extrachromosomal DNA. They proposed Six uh, pr- primary questions. What drives ECDNA formation? How can you target cancer driven by ECDNA? How do we target DNA, the ECDNA evolution? All that. Uh, and can we eliminate ECDNA? Okay, so we set out and we, uh, a uh, postdoc of mine, Ofer Shoshani, now just uh, a month a month ago, joined the, the faculty at, at uh, Weizmann in, uh, in Israel. He set out to take an old anti-cancer drug, one that's still used, methotrexate, and, and ask, since methotrexate resistance was demonstrated by Shemke and Alt originally to be by amplification of the dihydrofolate reductase gene. So the question is, if you do that and you look for a DHFR um, amplification, methotrexate resistance, what do you get? And here's one such cell example where you can see um, where we're scoring for chromosome five, the DHFR gene, and of course, DNA in blue. And what you see is, my gosh, look at all the ECDNA. You shattered the, the an original chromosome five and produced multiple copies of this ECDNA. And indeed, again, it's easy to rationalize. If you have a chromosome breakage, to make an acentric piece here we are the acentric piece it's a, it will be re encapsulated in the earliest next interface encapsulated into its own micronucleus where it'll go undergo slow dna replication and shattering by the the next the next uh, mitosis and, and 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 then religation in these little circles which can ultimately be amplified and they can be amplified by multiple means in, including by the, the, their missegregation, putting many more copies into one daughter cell than into the other. Okay, so is it that shattering that that methotrexate dependent uh, shattering and production of a parent ecDNA is it really true? Again, with Peter Campbell, we use whole genome sequencing to realize yes, indeed, in this particular example, the ecDNA can, contains five different pieces of, uh, of of the original chromosome five onto which uh, DHFR resides. And if you, at the whole genome sequence level, yes, indeed, they were chromothriptically reassembled in the wrong order of, to produce a, a two megabase five-piece uh, ECDNA uh, with all five pieces coming from chromosome five, but not necessarily, with not, but not all the adjacent pieces, but of course, containing the DHFR gene. Okay, so we know that we can by making uh, by by making an eccentric piece, Chromothripsis, you can generate e- ecDNA in the in. and indeed we validated the predictions from the DNA sequencing that we had a piece of pieces that were not adjacent to each other in the original chromosome piece one and piece four by in by a dual in, in- situ hybridization. Yeah, we verified the structure of the ecDNA with these five pieces ligated. In the wrong order. Okay, so now one criticism could be, of course, that's a cell culture example. Is this the kind of amplification, shattering and amplification that drives uh, anti-cancer drug resistance or and cancer genome evolution in real cancers? And we partnered with Rona Jaeger at Sloan Kettering, who had examples from patients. Uh, that whose tumors were driven by expression of the BRAF kinase well a specific mutation in the B, BRIS, bRAF kinase to which uh, a, an inhibitor a very highly selective inhibitor of that particular mutation has been generated and is in use as an as a, a targeted uh, anti-therapy and in in patients who, who had, Unhappily, failed uh, the, the the initial therapy and had ultimately become resistant to the BRAF inhibitor. When we looked at those, what you, a simple inspection of those shows that oh my gosh, here you go in the lymph node bi- biopsy, you see the EC DNA and you see with with this uh, fluorescence in situ hybridization lots of EC DNAs, actually in varying numbers in the in the in the various cells, but when and with whole genome sequence, again, with Peter Campbell, what we identified is, yes, there's a complex uh, ECDNA formed with multiple pieces containing, all in, in every example, containing the, uh, the, BRAF, uh, uh, the BRAF gene so that the resistance to the inhibitor is by just amplifying the original target, target gene. So indeed we will argue that this is the mechanism of genome amplification in cancer using chromothripsis ECDNA formation to drive in this case resistance to uh, a a very targeted anti-tumor drug. So if that's the case, can chromothripsis be targeted to prevent drug resistance? That was one of the six challenges uh, in the original uh, uh, CRUK and NCI challenge from 2020. And so we, we set out to try to do that. Well, what if we now look for this methotrexate resi- generation of methotrexate re- resistance by this genome uh, shattering and religation? and ask, well, what if we use inhibitors of uh, non-homologous end joining? So when you have double-stranded DNA breaks, you got to put them back to- together by, by some mechanism. The most uh, well-known mechanism is non-homologous end joining. You could also, though... Uh, in, inhibit DNA repair uh, with a, with an inhibitor like PARP inhibitors that are now broadly in clinical use. And when you do that, if you if you add either uh, in, inhibitors of this uh, non-homologous end joining or inhibitors of the uh, DNA repair pathways use, using DNA PK inhibitors or PARP inhibitors, yes, you can really drive that down. Uh, drive down the ability to generate resistant cells and to generate these, uh, these ECDNAs. And we propo- we proposed from this that a combination therapy, which included the use of PARP inhibitors and, and some and an NHEJ inhibitor, inhibitor really ought to be able to r- diminish uh, acquisition of drug resistance, for example, in that uh, BRAF inhibitor uh, uh, that, that I indicated earlier. Okay, so would increasing drug dosage overcome ecDNA driven resistance to it? And we tested that in the in the DHFR model by increasing the uh, level of uh, methotrexate and asking what happened. And the answer is perhaps no surprise at all. But the answer is well, you generate more ecDNA, so you go from about twenty per cell. You now got about sixty per cell, and they're just perfectly happy. But if you see if you Either use sequencing and/or use, as in the example on the right here, uh, fluorescence in situ hybridization. You can see very quickly what happened. Here's the here's the the in situ hybridization of a single copy intact chromosome five with a single copy DHFR gene. And here the duplicated chromosome uh, chromatids after replication. And here is the fluorescence intensity of the newly made. ecDnas e- and you can see they're 10 times as intense as the endogenous ones. So they went from a, an average copy number of, uh, of one copy to, on average to uh, about three copies of the DHFR gene per ecdNA and in an the example I'm showing you it's uh, an outlier where it got up to 10 copies. So we argued that we that yes yes um, and, and you might argue, you might say well it's no surprise that you add more ecDnas and you add more copies of the resistance gene on each cDNA, so there is an evolution of the can- that cancer genome. Okay, and moreover, of course, how do you get that evolution? Well, how do you segregate these eCDNAs, these little circles? And Jeff Wall and his colleagues at the Salk had demonstrated in the 80s and early 90s that they like to tether two chromosomes. And we demonstrated working with Bing Ren that they really like to tether near chromosome ends, but not all of them do that. And so they're not being passively trans- translocated during mitosis along with a chromosome to which they're kind of um, uh, tethered, but they, the untethered ones will, will not join the, the bulk mass and will form their own micronuclei. Oh, and when they're in micronuclei, they are substrates for new rounds of chromothripsis. And indeed, that's exactly what happens. So as you can see very quickly, if you start with one of these examples of a simple ECDNA uh, generated by uh, resistance to to methotrexate, there it is, five or six pieces ligated together, we can uh, score it uh, uh at the nucleotide resolution, but if you select for increased resistance over a two-week period, look what happened to that ecDNA. It was shattered and reshattered and reshattered and reshattered again. So the evolution of genome uh, evolution is quite easy by this uh, increased uh, drug selection. So we we conclude from all of this that we know we know that if you take uh, a normal chromosome that has a gene whose presence can be selected. Uh, can provide a growth advantage that if you if you break that chromosome uh with with that uh, or that chromosome gets missegregated into a micronucleus that, that that it will be shattered by a process of chromothripsis. it, it will uh, a proportion of those will go into d- double minutes uh or ecdnAs and indeed you will drive this cycle of evolution at uh, of those ECDNAs as they acquire additional uh, copies of the resistance gene and they amplify in, in the, mo- in the res- most resistant cells amplify the number of ECDNAs. I only briefly touched upon today the, the alternative route to for gene amplification, which was by making these homogeneous staining regions using what's been called breakage breakage fusion bridge cycle, uh, discovered initially by Barbara McClintock, but absolutely that that occurs. And we demonstrated, but I don't show today, we demonstrated that these uh, uh, DNAs that become dicentric chromosomes, they get the DNA stuck, especially with the amplified gene in the center, and it gets it gets broken. You get micronuclei. They get shattered by chromatrisis, and so the HSRs are a, a predecessor of the e- ecDNA and, uh, and 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 wa- more widespread gene amplification. So if I come back to where I started with the the twenty twenty Cancer Grand Challenge, uh, the question one one of the nine challenges was how does how what is what is the origin of gene amplification and extra chromosomal dna in human cancer and we argue that to the first of the questions what drives ec dna formation oh it's chromothripsis can we target cancers driven by ec dna yes with small molecule dna repair and NHEJ inhibitors how does ec dna evolve by chromothripsis and can we target ec dna evolution yep the same small molecule inhibitors what is the role of ecdNA in cancer formation? Well, at least one role is for gene amplification. Another another role will will be for inactivation of uh, tumor suppressors because the fragmentation will uh, ultimately inactivate some uh, suppressors if they are on the chromosome or the chromosome piece that gets uh, fragmented. And can we eliminate ecDNA? Well, that's not really been achieved. Maybe my check marks over the top here, but with small molecule inhibitors uh, of DNA repair and NHEJ inhibitors, I think we can diminish it. And what's left? Well, key mechanistic questions that are left are, so how does a chromosome get shattered? What produces that shattering? And there are ongoing proposals of nucleases that are involved my own view is, and from our own work is that the published ones are pro, are certainly not sufficient, and they may not be uh, involved at all, at least in many cases. And the final question, really, I think uh, from a basic science perspective, quite a, of high interest, how do you put all the pieces back together? It's kind of the Humpty Dumpty. When, when Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall, how do you put a hundred pieces back together? And there is uh, today uh, that's a challenge, really a really unmet challenge. And so then, lastly, for evolution of genome instability in cancer, this work was begun by a former graduate student Beth Weaver, now uh, on the faculty at University of Wisconsin. But the work that I d- I really highlighted today began with uh, Peter Lee, now independent at UT Southwestern, who built that uh, uh, the cells in which we can se- selectively missegregate the Y chromosome. But most, but in particular, Ofer Shoshani uh, just joined Weizmann, who it ha, ha, who demonstrated uh, the drug resistance, uh, all of the drug resistance experiments uh, that I described today, and a partnership with uh, Peter Campbell of the Sanger Center for uh, the, the, the the whole genome sequencing. Well, thanks very much, uh, uh, Tom. Thanks for the opportunity.
1: Well, thank you very much for the very stimulating lecture. I think that it's, um, you know, it's a thing that always bothers us in terms of looking at the uh, heterogeneity of these different lesions and how complex the uh, karyotype and chromosomal rearrangements are in cancer. And you got at the aspect of inhibitors of DNA repair or non-homologous end joining as being able to treat this, but how effective are they when the uh, the, uh, chromosomes are already altered in such a way, it may become very difficult.
0: Yeah, well, you're certainly right about that, but I do think you might, and and you could argue that if you can't get rid of them altogether, that even one left will ultimately amplify its way back, and that uh, that's a that's actually a quite uh, sensible criticism, uh, which I, I fully expect, uh, fully accept. But you can certainly diminish their number, and you could. We would argue that, for example, if I go back to the B-Raf inhibitor uh, I- I- examples, there where obviously the on-target molecular therapy is to inactivate the kinase that's driving the tumor. Okay, great. So maybe there it's the, the that if you could try to suppress the ability to form these ecDNAs dnas during, during the, the original BRAF uh, kinase inhibitor, that, 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 that may, maybe we really could diminish the, the, the number of resistant patients that emerged.
1: One of the interesting things is sometimes treatment with these kinase inhibitors can result in mutations within the kinase gene itself. However, it's kind of curious. Sometimes you find that the lytic frequency of the mutation is less than what you would expect if you had 100% of the cells expressing this. But could this be also due to gene amplification?
0: I, I Absolutely. I would, I would very much think so. Yes, ab- absolutely. And the, it's easy to uh, not find uh the amplifications, for example, an, e, an EC DNA. It's easy not to see it. It's harder to look. You know, it's it's actually quite easy to, if you if you're looking, it's it's easy to find. But if you're not looking, it's easy to miss. And so I think yes, there the, absolutely that that that's likely. And in all the examples that we got from sloan Kettering, uh, while I appreciate that there are kinase it, uh, all additional kinase mutations, the ones we saw the resistance was driven by gene amplification.
1: That's very exciting. I think that uh, in the interest of time, we're probably going to have to move on, but I thank you very much for that stimulating lecture, and it's great to see that uh, the work is proceeding as, as it is. So thank you very much.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks.